You're listening to Courtside Club, presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. The goblet has dropped. Download it. Must be 21 or older. I'm Rachel Demita, and welcome to our very first episode of the Courtside Club, where we give you exclusive access to your favorite athletes, entrepreneurs, creators. And today, I am super excited to have one of my good friends. He's also the most legendary streetball player in the world, in my personal opinion. He's an actor, a social media star. You guys are all familiar with him. Grayson Boucher, which I just learned how to pronounce your last name today. Perfect. AKA The Professor. Grayson, thank you so much. Thanks for, for having me. Yeah, glad on. to be here. Welcome to the Courtside Club. Thank you. Thank I feel you. like we have collaborated um, so many times, but this is the first time that I've been able to really like sit down with you yeah. and chat. And one of the things on Courtside Club that we like to do is give our audience a courtside view because okay. obviously you have millions of fans around the world, but they're sitting in the bleachers, you know? We want to give them that inside, that exclusive look. Got so. you. Got you. Definitely. And so when, yeah. Like, when was the first time we did collab? I'm trying to think. This is like goes way back now, right? Honestly. For 2K. Did we meet? Yeah, but I think we met before that, right? Like through YouTube space or something? No, I remember it was a dunk contest we both hosted. It was like me, you, and Isaiah Ryder for Ball's Life. We judged a dunk contest. Yeah, that was way yeah. back. I can't remember what year it was, though. It was like 2015, 2016, maybe 2014. Yeah, I wasn't at 2K yet. Okay. Right? I don't think so. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Anyways, we go way back. We've collaborated multiple times. You've been on my YouTube channel. I've even helped you out with your Spider-Man series. Yes, it's awesome. (laughs) Some of my favorite episodes, too. Spider-Man basketball was huge for you. Yeah, Spider-Man basketball actually blew up my YouTube channel. So, like, I I started my YouTube, and it was funny because I started the channel initially just to get more exposure for bookings. So, super early, and I was trying to, like, just put a bunch of stuff out there because— I saw the decline of Am one a little bit, and I recognized that getting an international booking was like a big check for me. You know what I mean? Because you're going overseas, so it's a bigger payday. And so I was like, cool. And then when Am one ended, I was like, we need to go crazy with this because this yeah. is like this is now my TV channel. And I recognized that it. I didn't think it would ever be on the level of TV. Funny enough, back at that time, I didn't think. But I was like, this is virtually your own TV channel for f- free distribution. Right. So I was like, let's go. So I was trying to flood it, but then basically what I was getting at is 2013. Spider-Man Basketball Episode 1 took my channel to a million subs in a week. That's insane. Yeah, the videos, uh, Episode 1 did 6 million views in a week, and then my channel went to a million subs, from 17,000 to a million subs overnight. Were you expecting with Spider-Man Basketball that it was going to do that? No. So my friend Rob, who you know, right? Shout out out to Rob Monroe. He he was like, yo, this would be great. He said, why don't we have you dress as a superhero, go play people one-on-one at the park, uh, We'll choose Spider-Man because it covers every part of the body. So so, so now right. it's a prank. So it's like we're mixing prank with uh, sports, with um, comedy, you know what I mean? Like all these things in one. And the cosplay, I guess. Yeah, and cosplay. <laughs> yeah. So, so we go do it. We were literally shot in like 30 minutes. We thought it was hilarious, right? It's kind of like a grown man dressed in a costume. Going, it's not an everyday thing. So we were like laughing with those like really funny so we got home that night. I had a flight early in the morning. So it's taking forever to upload. So I woke up in the morning for my flight. It's still uploading. So I was like, screw it. I'm just going to I remember those days. Yeah, I just <laughs> left my computer off. So I'll turn it off when I get back Monday or whatever. This is like 
So by the time I got to the airport, it already had like 300,000 views. That's crazy. And then by the time I got on the plane, it had like a million. By the time I got to Chicago, I had like 2.5 million. Like this video is just going berserk. Right. End of the week, it was like 6 million or something like that. And then to date, it has like 50 or 60. The funny thing is we thought it was just going to be comedy. And and I didn't know anything about Like you're saying, I don't, Spider-Man, like I didn't know anything. Rob knew all about it. Now, now I learned like there's genius in comic books and stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. But we thought it was just gonna be funny, but people took it as like swag. They were like, "Oh, Spider-Man, like that's clean." Yeah. We thought it was more like fun. I didn't expect that, so that yeah. was funny how it came together. But no, Rob knew all of Spider-Man. He kind of put me on to to cosplay and comic culture, and I learned it from there. So I'm kind of mad actually because originally my role in the series. So I, I did one episode with you where we first met. Or whatever. Episode nine, by the way. Y'all go go check that. You were in... I did two episodes with you. I think it's Spider-Man. The first one, I was with my friends. Remember playing ball? And we met. And you were not Spider-Man. You were in your... Peter Parker. In your Peter Parker outfit. Yeah. And we were at the park. It was windy or whatever. And Clarita. I was shooting. So then the second episode is where you saved me as Spider-Man. Right. Yeah. And, and then... But then you broke up with me, right? Yeah, we broke yeah. up. Okay. This all happened in the same... Yeah, so... I think it's Spider-Man Basketball episode nine, and then you're on the very last one. Yes. It's like 11. Yes. I think we went to 11. Okay, <laughs> but I have a bone to pick with you because I was supposed to die off. Oh. Do you remember? You told me I was going to die. Oh, we said potentially. I don't think we went that route. Like, sorry, you didn't get the memo. That's what I'm saying. I wanted to. You. I was like, man, this is my like acting debut. Got you. I yeah. get to die as Gwen Stacy. I get to get dunked on, and it just takes me out. We did talk about that. I no. got cut from the Spider-Man series. No, basically what happened was <laughs> the video stopped doing as good. But I think also we kind of like got we deep dove into story and it's really like it was all about hooping you know what I mean so like we deep, deep dove listen I'm joking I wouldn't have oh. had you on the courtside <laughs> club if I was really that pissed but I feel like that would have been dope so maybe there's just like this side like three minute episode maybe they know? want us to bring it back you know what I mean so we might have to consider right? that I don't know we'll consider it all right. we got a little bit off track um I, I do want to dive into your upbringing because you've been in this game literally for nearly your whole life. Mm -hmm. You grew up in Oregon, right? Yes. When did you start hooping? Started playing basketball. Actually, when I was two years old, I have a picture hooping my dad two? in the driveway. Yeah, he put the basketball in my hands really young. And then uh, I had like this Larry Bird Nerf hoop. And it was funny because even at two years old, I would tell my whole family, like at family gatherings, I'd be like, ready? Like, watch. You know what oh. I mean? And then I'd like shoot or whatever or go dunk on the little Nerf hoop. So... Yeah, I started young. Did you come from athletes, like a family of athletes? Uh, Not on the coll collegiate or pro level. Like, my uncle was, like, he won a national championship, uh, like, as a wrestler or something like that. But, no, nah, like, my dad, he just, like, loved the game. He had a passion for it, just playing, like, city leagues, recreational. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's similar because people always ask me, like, do you have a family, like, of athletes? And I'm like, I'm actually the first one, kind mm. of. You know, my dad played at the park mm -hmm. my mom is the first one to say that she's the biggest dork like you mm -hmm. know she won mvp in volleyball when she was in like sixth grade or something you know what i mean yeah. so um i just think it's funny sometimes when when athletes come from that because like you you find the passion within yourself almost yeah. right like mm -hmm. you, you're not looking at your dad as like a pro basketball player and be like i want to emulate him you yeah. clearly like you found a love for the game somehow do you remember when that spark came uh, yeah, I think I decided or realized I had lo loved the game at like third or fourth grade, actually. So that at, at that point, it was like, I want to make the NBA, you know? 
So that was your goal? The NBA, for sure. What was that? Yeah, NBA? playing for a living. Some of your older fans, like we talked about earlier, might know you from and one. Mm-hmm. I personally do, which it's kind of surreal that we've become friends and worked together as much as we have because you are somebody who I looked up to and just what you did with and one was dope. That whole mm-hmm. crew that you guys had and like you created this culture in hoops that was very special for a lot of people, you know, and then there's an audience now who is younger, who only knows you from YouTube and your yeah. social media and whatnot. I don't even know how did you get that call from Anwan? How did you make that decision to go play? So Anwan, first off, humble. Thanks for supporting for so long. It's funny yeah, that today course. I found out you even knew what Anwan actually didn't know that. I, I knew you probably knew of it, but yeah. I didn't know like you watched it. I didn't know that. I was That's so cool. into, like me as a hooper, right? Mm-hmm. I had a completely different style of play than you. I was just a straight shooter. Yeah. But I was obsessed with that kind of culture. Like, oh, that you. was the cool culture of basketball. Like, my yeah. favorite player was Allen Iverson. Mm. Just, like, the swag, the the way that Hoopers carried themselves. You know what I mean? And I was, like, just the shooter who couldn't jump or run fast or dribble. But Still could be admired, right? Regardless. Yeah. yeah. And, and, no, and I did great in what I did. But, like, that was so cool, and I feel like so monumental. And like we needed that, you know what I mean? And in that time, hundred percent. So, what year was that when you first signed? Like yeah, 2000- so this is two thousand three. Three. My favorite yeah. player in the NBA was Allen Iverson at that time too. I think Jordan uh, retired that same year, actually. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so yeah, um, and one. I was already a fan of it. Two thousand three. Uh, they're having open tryouts. So it was an open tryout. Yeah. So this was an open trial that they would have before every tour stop. So. Yeah, so I hop in there, nothing to lose, and I just start showing out. This is how I played. I was culturing and one. So I started showing out. A crowd started going berserk, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> people don't know, at 18, like, people say I look young for my age now, right? At 18, it looked like I was 10 or 12. Like, True. Like, crazy young. So... And also, like, the jerseys <laughs> at that time, the shorts and the jerseys yeah. just made everybody look so small because they were so baggy. <laughs> yeah, that was the parachute clothing yeah. era. Like... If my shorts didn't touch my socks, I thought they were too small. Yeah, that's exactly. that's the, just to give you an idea. Sleeves got to be past the elbow. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it was like the baggy you were, like the harder you were. So, anyway, getting the open run, I pulled a couple moves off. Like the dudes I'm going against, they over six foot, and I'm at the time I'm probably like five seven or whatever. So they losing it, and then prime objective. Uh, one of my ex teammates, he was out there and he kind of like noticed me first. And then by the end of the trial, all the N1 players were there like on the stage. And I think they even left it up to the crowd. Like who should go in? Is it this kid? Or there's oh, like some dope. other dunker dude. And so like our, our applause was almost equal. So they're like, cool. They're both, they're both coming in. So we go in and I think it's at Memorial Coliseum where the Blazers used to play. And then play against team N1. Next thing I know, I'm going against one of my idols, hot sauce. We, we having this mm-hmm. back and forth and, even like slid me one time. I like touched the ground, but then I was going back at him. The crowd liked it. I didn't back down. So I didn't go berserk that game, but I got the crowd really excited. It probably had like eight points, a couple of, couple of alley-oops or something. And then afterwards, uh, they came in the locker room and main event was like, yo, we, we decided to pick you. You know what I'm saying? So, and I'm, and I'm like, I don't even know what he means. So I'm like, Okay. I was, I was like, respect. Then the corporate comes in after the camera's cut and they leave the room and corporate comes in. So, yeah, you've been selected to go on tour with us. Like, are you going? And I was like, on tour? I was like, oh, on tour? I was like, why? <laughs> they're like, <laughs> they're like they, they liked your play. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, you did really good. So, like, you in this thing. And, and then I knew that there was an ongoing TV show because I'm like the biggest fan of it ever. So, I'm on tour. I stay on for about three weeks. 
I'm going crazy. I'm, I'm doing things that like I couldn't duplicate, right? Buzzer shots. Yeah. Score 30. Crazy highlights against like guys who are pro level. It just so happened I my the summer or the the off season prior to that, the little spring summer leading up to that, I improved like 300%. I was a dude who played two minutes a game at community college. So when the show came on three weeks later, I see the ESPN show. I'm hoping I can like pause it so I could tell my friends back home, like maybe one of my highlights would make the show. Yeah. And then I didn't realize I was like the star of the show. The show yeah. was about <laughs> the people trying out, trying to get on the N1 team. And I remember being nervous. I was in my hotel watching it. It was, you know, it was on ESPN. But I'm, I'm like, I got probably 20 minutes of airtime. Show's only 30. So I was just like. But also you're not from this world. So how would anybody know? Yeah. like, like And it's funny too, because I was so young, like just, I was so immature. Just, they probably told me everything, but I just like <laughs> missed that detail. That like, the whole show yeah. is about finding new talent. Because I just feel like I was so far below my idols. You know what I mean? That I'm like, I don't deserve, you can't put me on the show like more than them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I remember after that, my phone just like blew up. Like I couldn't even <laughs> take a call. Like it's just bringing so much or whatever, but. It was good times. It happened all really, really fast. So that's how I, I went through that whole that whole summer. I hit a buzzer shot at Mass Square Garden like two games before yeah. the end. And then I had like a showdown with Hot Sauce in the hood. They The last game was in Main Events Hood in Linden, New Jersey. So on the show, they were like, all right, so you can do it in the arenas, but can you do it in the hood? And so we had like this back and forth or whatever, and that's how I won the contract. That's dope. Yeah. But I remember the storylines were kind of, one of my favorite parts about the show because it was like the first time that anybody's done something like that and we didn't have social media at the time either. Right. Do you think you came into fame pretty quickly? Was that hard being that young? Uh, Or were you just riding the wave? I was having so much fun. It's hard for me to say it was hard or problematic. I think um, if I would look at like the cons, because like it's pros and cons to everything, right? The pros was I was living my dream. My idols uh, were now my teammates and then soon to become friends and family or whatever. The cons of it were like, you know, I wasn't really ready to manage money, uh, party too much. You know, we got in a little bit of trouble in certain regards. That's like, that's hard for me to hear now because you're not that guy now. Oh, no, not at all. Like, you're the most, like, <laughs> chill. Like, when I'm describing to people, I'm like, he's super humble. He's nice. He's, like, chill. He's, like, a regular dude who just happens to be, like, a legend in the basketball world. You know what I mean? So, uh, like, to think you were, like, partying sounds, I don't know. Like, out of character. <laughs> obviously. Yeah, but you were 18 and you were, like, living the dream. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, we try to live it up. But um, I had so much gratitude just to be in that position because my whole career – I was really, I looked like I was 12 or like my whole time, like even in high school, right? Like I didn't get it. I was on JV as a junior, but like my identity was That's in basketball. Crazy. So that was a big hit to my pride and everything. I had skills like offensively, but on defense, I like shied away from contact. And then like yeah. I looked so young that like coaches didn't really want to like give me the opportunity. That's honestly like saying that you were on JV is wild to me. Yeah. Because now you've gone up against former NBA players, current NBA players. Mm. Like, you go to any park and you're dropping somebody. You yeah. know what I mean? So, like, to know that, like, a, a high school system, I guess, didn't accept kind of this kind of ball that you were playing. Or maybe you, you were timid. I don't know. No, you- you're exactly right. So, where I was coming up in Oregon, the the style of play was very, like, Hoosiers, very, like, you know, people would call it, like, Princeton offense. We're going to run these defensive yeah. things. So, like, 
<clears throat> if you went out of the offense and like cross somebody over, throw a no look pass or like score, like it might yeah. be, it might come off, come off in that environment as like a little bit showboaty or whatever. And then like I was like good, but I wasn't like ranked in the state, so I probably didn't have the trust of my coaches to be able to like show out like that. Right. You know what I mean? So And then if you make a mistake doing a flashy move, like you you'll get benched quicker than if you, you know, you're just throwing a regular bounce pass and it and it goes out of bounds, you do a turn arm or whatever. But you're that's throwing what, it behind your back and it goes out of bounds, your coach is like, get them out of here. You know, that's what I always tell kids, like, cause you know, that whole and one era, everybody wanted to copy the moves, right? But you and we I used to do it. My AAU team used to. Yeah, I mean, I played like an and one when I was in high school, but like you have to earn the trust of your coach. Like, you, if you're going to be flashy, you better be the starter. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're going to do that and not take away from what's going on, like you got to have the trust of like if your coach is going to let you cross people over and throw no look passes, and then by the time I'm a senior, I go between the legs and all this stuff. You know what I mean? But I had to. By the time I was a senior, I transferred to a smaller school, and I had the trust of my coach to be able to do it. So it was more, like, seamless. Yeah. But, yeah, I had a good senior year. I transferred to this, like, really small Christian school for, like, better opportunity. But then, again, like, no college offers. Uh, so you yeah. – and you gave up your college eligibility to play with Anne One because – Yeah, because I wasn't going anywhere. And then my parents supported it, like, to my surprise at that yeah. time. But they had invested so much into my dream. Like, I wouldn't do what I do today without my parents' support. Like – they put me in AAU. I had went to all clinics and camps. I always had like nice shoes. I had a personal trainer by the time I was in fourth grade that I worked with all the way up until, yeah, you know, even being on Amwin. So they had invested so much into it, and they knew I wasn't going anywhere like at the community college. So they were like, "Yeah, let's do it." You know, and if at that time Amwin was so popular, we felt like it was going to be around forever, like the Globetrotters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I think too we're similar in the fact that like we're not necessarily built like ball players, right? Like you're yeah. smaller in general. So you have to control the things that you can control. So for me, I chose shooting. I was like, I'm just going to be a lights out shooter. That's it. That's what I like to do. That's what I can do. And that's how I got my scholarship and, you know, excelled how I wanted to in basketball. But I feel like a lot of kids nowadays also need to understand that because right now on yeah. social media, you just see highlights, you know, or it's like somebody doing moves like you, but like you had a trainer. I I never knew that, that you had a personal trainer since fourth grade and you were doing all of these different things. You probably had to work harder and smarter than some kids who maybe were born six five, you know? Oh, hundred percent. hundred percent. Like that's what I tell kids now. There, there's a whole, like a lot of kids like to, uh, or parents will say like size doesn't matter. You know, that's kind of like a word, right? Size doesn't matter. But like, it does. Like, the smaller you are, the more skilled you're going to have to be. Or yeah. like you say, you were an expert at shooting. So it's like your shooting is going to need to be elite for mm-hmm. you to be on. You know what I mean? So, yeah, because, like, and that's what I always tell people, too. People don't really think about it like this. But, like, size, strength, and speed outweigh are more a better asset than being high-skilled. Because, at the end of the day, high-skilled is based on how you perform that day. Size and strength ain't going nowhere, like. By True. default, you're going to have your size and strength. True. That's why in the NBA game, like, that's really like a size and strength game. Not that guys aren't skilled. It's like it's like people have both. But even some posts, you could be like, oh, well, maybe they're not the most skilled, but they're so damn strong and big. It's right. Like, <laughs> they got that spot. Absolutely. So, yeah. I never really made it until I got on and one. I never really made it. And, like, even I had a good senior year, but outside of that. They allowed me to, my environment allowed me to think maybe I wasn't really that good when it came to organized ball, you know, because yeah. I played pickup, I'll go crazy and people knew me for that. But in the season, it was like we had to conform. And so they made me think that's what basketball was in an organized level, 
you know, all the way around. But by the time my and one of teammates saw me, they were like, you're not going, you're not going to college? You're not going D1? Mm-hmm. And I was like, D1? Yeah. <laughs> I got cut from three JUCOs. And I, <laughs> right. I, I only played community college ball because my dad persuaded. My dad was a jeweler. He owned a jewelry store for years. So he was selling jewelry to the head coach. Oh, my god! And he persuaded him to give me an opportunity, give no me a way. shot. And that's the only reason. The guy was gracious enough to, like, let me have a tryout. Right. And, and he saw I had some skills, but he allowed me, like, red shirt. And then I ended up playing because, like, some guys got injured. Mm-hmm. So that's the only reason I played community college. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. And then I don't think anybody, if you told them on the street, like, I had to, like, ask my way into playing at a community college, they'd be like, shut up, Grace. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. Do you remember the the feeling that you had when and one was ending? Yeah, yeah, definitely a feeling of like. The end of an era, for sure. What's next? And then partially, I couldn't believe it either. Like, it astounded me, but I didn't know a lot about business, like. When a business gets bought out, right, it's just like a team or a program gets a new coach. It's new system, new view, new outlook, new approach. So the people that bought and won, they looked at the numbers on paper and it was good, but they didn't know the whole thing was built off street ball. So they tried to like, we're just going to do NBA and go the traditional route. It's different now, though, for sure. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just di- different. And I don't. I think if you didn't grow up in the era that we did, you'll never really be able to understand like the impact that it had. So I think kids today will say something else impacted them, whether it's, you know, like social media or, or some other wave that we've had in sports. But that was something that was really big. So I can just imagine that I've had transitions in my life where I've, like, graduated from big stages. Even leaving the game of basketball in general, walking away from my college team was, like, one of the toughest decisions. And then trying to figure out what's next when that's something that's, like, your whole identity or something that was, like, so fun. Like, did you feel lost at all or was Yeah. It- no, I, I was going to say, I'm, I was lost. I'm like, dang, what's next? Because outside of streetball on that highest level, you had, like, actual streetball, like, at ground level, like Rucker Park and, like, these leagues on the East Coast. But, you know, you get, like, a little money here and there. It's, like, it's hard to make a career. And then me coming from Oregon trying to, like, move to New York and do that living, it just it doesn't even make sense, right? You want to do something that's going to stick around for the long term. So when I would go overseas, like, I remember we went to Europe and even Australia and, like, people would approach me and be like, Fessa, I love your work. And I'd be like, thanks for watching the show. I used to just say that, right? Right. Thank you. For, thanks for checking out the show. I appreciate you. And they'd be like, no, I saw your stuff on YouTube. And so I was like, oh, YouTube. I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, okay. I was like, I knew it was something on the internet, tube or whatever. Yeah. So I remember looking into it. And then that started to be more and more of a trend. And that's why I knew, like, I could start my own channel, try to put videos here. Because I did find out through research it was in, like, 20 countries at the time. Now it's a lot bigger. But, like, it, yeah. was, it was all over the world. So it was really just to get more bookings. We have to pull up some of those clips because I feel like we uploaded some stuff in, like, 2015, 16, 17 on YouTube that would kill now on, like, TikTok right. or Reels or something. Right. I want to pick up kind of where we left off in the first half and go into the the second half of your career. Sure. I think it's pretty impressive how you've been in this game 20 years or so. 19 years as of this year. Yeah, 19 yeah. years. And to stay on top like you have been and continue to like make moves in this space is is a really hard thing to do. And I think for any creator out there, they can appreciate that. So let's pick off from... And one, mm-hmm. we go into YouTube, mm-hmm. and then what? 
Yeah, so I started the YouTube channel in 2009, and then um, I'm just doing one-off games uh, internationally. So by 2011, I think I got Instagram. Or sorry, 2009 is YouTube. 2011, I started Instagram. I remember I called myself Global Hoop. I tried to do like a rebrand from Professor. I was trying to go away from it. So I called myself at Global Wait, Hoop. Wait, why did you go away from the Professor? Just felt like and one was becoming dated. I remember this girl. I remember uh, this girl I was dating at the time. I think it was like 2010. And she was talking about and one. And she was the first one that kind of made it apparent to me that it was like, it was like kind of something of old, right? Like time goes by fast. Sometimes you don't realize like how quick time goes by. And then you're seeing things from the inside out. You don't necessarily know how you're viewed by the market, right? Especially before social media, it's hard to know. Yeah. You'll laugh, even in 2022, people will come up to me and be like, are you still with and one? Or like, when's the next and one game? <laughs> yeah. And I'll be like, so that was 15 years, that was a lifetime ago. But yeah. <laughs> so there's no I escaping I literally haven't played me. on and one in 13 years. Yeah, you don't want to be typecast, but like often you're remembered for your biggest thing you do. So I kind of just learned it was part of the territory. So I'm like fine with it because I didn't know if like the professor could be cool outside of and one. That was the question at the time, which it seems weird, but like I didn't know if it was possible just because ESPN hits so many people. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I thought a rebrand was good, but then I was like, rebrands are hard. Like, why do it if you don't need to? Right. So I switched it back. And I call my clothing brand that, Global Hooper. But that's what that came from. It's like I made a living for three or four years only playing international. Was there any countries that you felt the most love when you were traveling? Oh, uh, Japan. Yeah, Japan, Brazil. So Japan, people f pass out. Like, <laughs> like if you're a superstar in America, you go to Japan, you're, you're, you're through the, like, your head can blow up real I big. Like, I feel like that in China, actually. <laughs> yeah, China. And I think I think it's more special internationally in certain places because they know that, like, you're not – it's not a staple that you're going to come there every year, right? Like, Anwen ended up did go – Anwen went to Japan once or twice a year every year from 04 to literally 2010. So, like, that was over and over. But they don't know that, right? This could be their last opportunity. And over there, it's expensive to go to the game, right? So – They'll lose their minds. But then Brazil was, I remember that. That sticks out in my mind, too, because we played like a soccer stadium or like a tennis stadium. But it was huge. You know what I'm saying? It was like 20,000 right. plus. And I remember we had a game on like a Wednesday. And we had never been to Brazil. And one hadn't done Brazil, right? So it's like 05 at the peak. I remember playing that game. We sold it out completely. It was like 25,000 people. They went berserk off like anything like i remember i was at half court the defender hadn't even got to me i'd like did a behind the back move and they go oh <laughs> like, like just to see you in action was so more you're saying i have a chance for Brazil. yeah the, the, like like <laughs> just the appearance was lit you know what i mean just you being there so like if you had a real move off like you think the, the, the ceiling was gonna pop off the arena like it was crazy and then it went so berserk and they sold out so quick that they asked us like they're like hey uh We'll double the pay. You guys want to stay until Sunday? We're going to throw another. Let's do another one on Sunday at the same venue, same arena. Let's so. just do it. And we were like, oh, of course. Like, yeah. And then yeah. We're, we're partying in Brazil and going to the beach. So we're, yeah, we're not turning down that one. So, <laughs> like, sure, I'll extend my vacation. Thank yeah. You so much. Brazil goes crazy. But those, those two, Japan and Brazil, really stick out in my head. But internationally, it was always like crazy. I feel like you're really humble when you, when you talk about kind of taking that next step or, rebranding, not rebranding. You're like, oh, I just, you know, did YouTube and it worked. I did this. This was fun for me. 
But I think you do have to give yourself a bit more credit because <laughs> this space is hard. It's hard to navigate. Mm -hmm. And especially now it changes so much. And like you have to be adaptable on any social media platform on YouTube. I've been through the ringer on YouTube. Like it's it's way different than it was. Great. The algorithm changed like five times. And it always gets harder every change. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, because there's no. like more and more. Like how do you stay on that? Or do you have a strategy or is it really just you putting up stuff that you love and just going for it? No, it's, you know, you know, it's he heck of strategic. Yeah. So a little bit of both though, right? I don't want to do something if I don't like it a lot, but I always tell people <clears throat> outside of strategy, like if you just want a brand on social, you have to do uh 50% something you love and 50% something the audience loves. Cause if you do it hundred percent the way you want it, like and the audience doesn't receive it, it doesn't make any sense. You're not gonna get viewership. But if you do it hundred percent the way the audience likes wants you and you don't like it, then you're like selling out. You ain't even gotta have fun with it. So you're not gonna wanna do it in the long run. So I say it's gotta be like a percentage of both, but then also from a strategic standpoint, I always talk to like people who are doing it at a high level. I'll hit them up and try to get in inner circles or even like, even micro influencers. Some people are just really on the wave on like trend waves. So I just try to like stay really well networked and like talk to a lot of people and then see what the trends are. And then I try to like shift my content for that. So for example, like TikTok, right? We talked about this, we did a collabs on TikTok. You're, okay, but your TikTok strategy was, I was like, you, you don't even know how to, you were not using the TikTok audios. You were filming your own videos and putting them up to an audio that you like or that was trending at the time. Am I wrong? Yeah, so like my team repurposes like something from a YouTube shoot to make a TikTok video, but I'll tell I'll tell I'll have ideas, I'll tell them how to do it. But basically, we'll take I just look at the viral trending songs, so anything that's top 20. I take that song and I'll put it to like a lit highlight or something like that. And then like the beat will drop like when the dude falls or when it goes off his head or whatever. So it's kind of like you're using that trendy song, but I'm not really doing the trend that actually goes with that song and I make it basketball. So I make it my own. Which is kind of frustrating to me because I spend <laughs> hours on TikTok seeing what trends I want to hit. Cause I do it the mm -hmm. exact opposite that you yeah. do. I find the sound first or the trend first and then mm -hmm. I shoot my video or then I go find an old video that might fit to that song. I mean, it honestly is a testament to the kind of like videos that you put out though, because they're that good. You know what I mean? That you're oh, able to you. do that. But um, even when we did our seated dribbling routine. Oh, that was hard too. Did over a mil. Thanks to Rachel. Wait, it has, no, it has, I think like 2 million on your channel. Okay. Doesn't I, it? It I has like 2.7 yeah. million oh, dang, views. Let's go. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> check out Grayson's TikTok. He has a lot more followers than I do. We did a seated dribbling collaboration because that is one of the trends that I think I do pretty well, which is funny because I've never been a dribbler. Yeah. You were but the I like first doing one seated dribbling routines. Put right? me onto that. Yeah. Yeah. I have to call you out a little bit because you, that was so out of your wheelhouse. You don't ever dribble to music. I do. Sometimes, but like only for a second, not like a whole, not like a whole thing. Yeah. But watching you, it is kind of like a, a dance in a way when you're doing your different dribbling moves. So in my mind, I was like, oh, this will be like easy for him. But you're like, no, this isn't the way I do it. <laughs> no, because I think, I think dribbling, dribbling or like basketball as an art with freestyle kind of like has its own rhythm, but it's not really like dance rhythm, like because think about it, you predicate whatever you want to look a certain way. And they, they'd be like, oh, that's like rhythmic, but like. I wasn't marching to a beat, you know what I mean? So oftentimes I, I lay beats to edits and posts, not 
not as we're going because like you know i just break up youtube videos i i'll rarely i'll do a t straight tiktok video it's like collab with you or like or like when covid was going on we couldn't really hoop so i was doing like dribble combos that were like right. for tiktok and ig yeah I took you out of your comfort zone. For you that, did. For that it was one. great. It was great. <laughs> I couldn't even keep content. up. Rachel was going to the beat seamlessly. I'm like, yo, how did you? You got to break that down step by step. I don't even know what you're doing. And then you show me one move and it takes me like four hours to get it. <laughs> Courtside Club is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it. Must be 21 or older. I want to talk about, too, your new series or the might become a series. I don't know. Your okay. Space Jam series. Oh, yeah. Is that the next kind of Spider-Man move? Um, that was the aim initially, but it was hard to pull off. You know what I mean? Like, hooping in those costumes is like... So for people ha who haven't seen it, he dressed up as in the Space Jam... Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny outfit, <laughs> essentially, with the big, like, bunny head and everything, and went and hooped in the park. Yeah. Yeah. So... Everything you've seen, I think there's four videos up from that. There was all one day, though. Or, excuse me, two days. But it was like, they were like a day apart. Right. So we did it for one week, and And then it was who a lot, did you though. have as Lola? Oh, Brianna. Shout out to Brie Green. She's a fantastic player. Oh, she's a beast. Yeah. She's a beast. I felt like she could pull that off, right? Like, play against dudes, not be 100%. We wear the costumes, you're like 30 or 40%. You know what I mean? And, and long hours... We did two days of eight-hour shoots, you know, off and on, obviously, but, like, it was long. By the end of the day, I'm energy on zero. Like, I yeah. need two days to recover. And then we went – I think we did a Monday, Thursday. But both were, like, from from time we got there to time we left, it was eight hours. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, it wasn't necessarily, like – it's hard to plan a series like Spider-Man, right? Like, I just shot a lot of content, and I knew at the very least we would have at least uh three videos, yeah. So Bugs Money 1v1, the Toon Squad hitting the court, and then maybe some like individual games that happen within that. But it happened to go crazy. So I was like, all right, let's go. But that's a testament to being adaptable because you don't yeah. know. You kind of took a different spin on it, put it in Reels, put it on Instagram, put it on TikTok, mm -hmm. put it on your YouTube channel. Do you have any advice for anybody trying to get into this space right now? Mm. Like, if you were trying to start your socials today, I would say, like, yeah, pick something you really like. Because if you want it, because being an influencer is a long play. It's like a yeah. five to seven year before you get viewership. You know what I mean? Like, they ask, like, people will call into, like, Gary V. You know, he gives, like, social media business advice to people. And, like, they'll be like, I want to start my YouTube. What do you think? And I agree with him. He'll be like, all right, so... Are you ready to not to do jack-ish for viewership for about five to seven years? Right. How do you feel about that? And they're like, <laughs> they always get quiet, right? <laughs> no, 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 but like that's that's the reality. Like usually it's a slow build. Like I feel like mine was kind of like lottery-ish. Plus people knew me from ESPN. I think I had a little bit of an advantage going to YouTube. But most people, it's like build it from scratch, right? A couple of my friends, I helped them build their socials by doing collabs and just like advising and they do good, but it's like really like it's like a slow build. So I would say pick something you really like that you could see yourself doing in five years also. And then just try a bunch of stuff because nobody knows what kind of videos will work for them until you like really try it. So I say just like try it. And the more content, the better. And especially early on when you don't have like a huge following, you're able to try a lot of things. It's like trial and error. And I remember when I had 100,000 followers, I was way more just would throw stuff up and see if it worked. 
now I'm a bit more calculated with everything. Cause totally it, learn so much as you yeah. go. And I would say too, if you were, if you were going to start it today, just to do vertical content only and try to like really go hard on TikTok and make that your main thing. But with your TikToks, upload them also as IG reels and then put them on as YouTube as shorts. So now you're only shooting one kind of video and you're just throwing it everywhere. Shorts that, is something I absolutely need to do. Yeah, that'd be my recommendation. I know a girl who's a comedian and she got over a hundred or she got to, was it a hundred thousand? She she got to a hundred thousand in a year. And then I knew another dude who got to a million in like a few months, all shorts. Crazy. Now, mind you, their their content's like elite, like it's really good. So therefore, it can like go crazy. But YouTube's a hard grind. I'd say you need to be everywhere. Like influence people who only do Instagram or like only do TikTok, doing themselves a disservice because yeah. if you're gonna be an influencer, the business is really on YouTube. But like if you're well rounded, your campaigns com companies like you know you've done a bunch of campaigns. They'll come to you and be like, hey, we want to do this uh, this whole campaign where it's a 30 second YouTube integration a post on TikTok, two posts on IG, one story. And that can pay you a lot. The you know more saying? platforms you have to offer, obviously, the the more money you can make. Exactly. For sure. All right, now that we are at the end of the game, I have some buzzer beaters for you. Okay. Break down your ideal courtside fit. Global Hooper. Globalhooper.com. <laughs> the best game you've ever sat courtside at. Season opener. I went to the season opener this year. It was Warriors versus Lakers. So I got to see Steph and LeBron. Courtside? Courtside. That's dope. Head to head. That was hot. But then it's hard. it was a toss-up because on New Year's Eve, I took my dad courtside. We sat right next to the Blazers bench, and he's a diehard Blazer fan. Oh, so okay. we talked to Lillard. We talked to the coach. We talked to some of the Lakers, and LeBron had 43 has there been any NBA players who have complimented you that you were surprised, like even knew who you were? Um, I think all of them I was like in stride just because like when they first started showing me love, it was like I was still kind of young, you know, like like Steph, Steph Curry asked me for a photo when I met him. And this was in 2012, 10 years ago. That's dope. Yeah. <laughs> so I was kind of like, oh, cool. You know what I mean? But you forget like, I don't know. I, I don't know how old he is, but he's like younger. Of course he watched and one. Oh, like when I met D Wade, he was like, oh, I feel like I know you, man. I've seen so much and one. And then. Like Kyrie follows me on social, probably has since college or high school, Westbrook. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's always humbling, you know what I mean? Like, it always can surprise you because it'd be arrogant if you were like, yeah, of course I, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, you have to stop and think about it because I've even had, you know, like Shaq compliment my jump shot. Now we're friends. I consider him a mentor. You know, I'm friends with you now. I have Kobe yeah. Bryant, like, compliment my jump shot. And these people, you know, Snoop Dogg was like, oh, you're Rachel. And I'm like, what? What? It's like, can I have a picture with you? That was another moment where you get surprised and, and we're we've been in this world for so long. I yeah. feel like sometimes we get desensitized to it. But it's cool to take a step back and be like, wow, these are people that I look up to are also really great. All right, next buzzer beater. If you could sit courtside with one person dead or alive, who would it be? Sit courtside dead or alive? Oh, uh, we gotta go to the Laker game and sit courtside with Michael Jackson. That'd be hard. That'd be sick. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be sick. And I'm wearing Global Hooper. We're going to be in photos. Right. <laughs> All right. What is one event in history that you would have loved to have been courtside for? Ooh. Um, one event in history? Dang. Be sporting event. Could be anything. Ooh. I'm going to say 1998. Michael Jordan wins 
the NBA Finals the shot. in Utah for the shot. Yeah. That would be hard. That would have been hard to catch courtside. That would be sick. That would be hot. That's what came to mind. Yeah. yeah. And who is one athlete that you would love to talk smack from? The I would court, from the court talk side. smack to talk smack to from court side. Sorry. Oh, one athlete. That's hard because, like, I'm a courtside viewer. I'm just like, I feel grateful to be there. I'm excited. I don't really like talk smack necessarily. That's not my style, but who knows? Oh, Larry Bird. I heard okay. Larry Bird had some of the like the most vicious. Yeah, that came smack out recently, talk. right? Well, I've heard it like in hoop circles. You've been known it. Like I knew this since like the '90s. I used to hear about it because my my trainer, shout out to my trainer, uh, ever since I was little, Rodney Howard. He was roommates with Gary Payton okay. in college at Oregon State. So he always used to tell me like iconic hoop stories that like Gary would tell him. So like I knew a lot about MJ and Bird, like even back in the nineties. Well, Grayson, thank you for joining the Courtside Club, helping us kick this thing off. We're definitely gonna have to have you back. Hey, thanks for having me. Would love to. For another shooting game. Um, Before we wrap, let the audience know where they can find you. Definitely check me out. uh, YouTube forward slash Professor Live. And then I'm the professor on all other platforms. And check out the clothing, globalhooper.com. Anything else that we should be on the lookout for? Uh, I have a lot of exciting announcements in crypto coming up. But I don't want to announce them because it's a little bit too soon. So just keep up with me on social, you know, Twitter, IG, all that good stuff. We're going to have to touch on that next time. Okay. Because you have some pretty cool projects in this space. Let's do it. Let's do it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. <laughs>